Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on January 2nd, 2022, during our Sunday morning service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12th meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Since we've been in Ephesians together, but turn with me now once again to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? Change is hard. Change is hard. Now, change is inevitable, but good change, intentional change, is very difficult. Life is not ever truly stagnant, is it? We're always moving in a direction. Whether it's the direction we want to move or not, we're always in motion somewhere. And we all want to change. We all have things we want to change. Maybe you didn't make a resolution because you have made one in the past and you weren't able to keep it and you just said, I'm not even going to try this year. My dad says, uh, I don't like resolutions, but I do like recommitments. Maybe what you need this year is a recommitment. This is a great place to start. And we're going to talk today about change. We're going to talk today about intentional change. Change that is made possible for the children of God because of the Spirit of God living inside of us, because of the work that God the Son has accomplished for us. I want to talk to you today about change, about Walking differently and renewing your mind. Now, before we jump into the middle of chapter 4 here together, Ephesians chapter 4, let's take just a moment and review where we, since it's been a a few months, uh, well, I guess it's been about a month and a half since we've been in this book together. It's been a a number of weeks since we've been together. So we saw in chapter 4, the first 16 verses, we saw walk worthy. This section of the book is about how we live, about the choices that we make, the direction that we are heading as believers. In the first part of Ephesians, Paul talks about the many spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. He talks about what God has provided for us and how God has accomplished it in Christ. And now in chapter four, we begin to talk about our responsibility because of the blessings that God has given us. What does God expect of his children And in the first part of chapter 4, we are told that we need to, verse 1 of chapter 4, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. We saw uh, over the last number of weeks, number one, that every believer has a responsibility because of the great privileges we've been given to walk worthy. Number two, a worthy walk means, verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, or literally in the Greek, gentle strength. 
strength under control, power under control, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That unity is possible because God makes that unity possible based on His nature, based on who He is, what He's done. Verse 4 says, There is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You getting the idea here? Unity, oneness, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, to live out this unity, then, we learn that Jesus Christ, according to the promises of the prophecies of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ has in his death and resurrection, in his ascension, he has then provided us with spiritual gifts. Verse 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. This is not saving grace. That's chapter 2. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need God's grace in order to be saved because none of us can work for it. None of us can be good enough, strong enough, holy enough. None of us can get baptized uh, and get wet enough. None of us can give enough. None of us can serve enough. It's by His work, not our work. By grace are ye saved. It's faith in the death, of resur- uh, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the payment of my sin. It's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's believing that Jesus, the Son of God, became a man, died for my sin, rose again. And then, a, that's A, that's B, then C, call upon the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when we call upon him to save us and to forgive us, we're born again. We're brought into his family. But then, saving grace becomes serving grace. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath beforehand uh, ordained that we should walk in them. So we are then given a specific grace, a specific serving grace, a specific gift wherewith we serve. And then Jesus, uh, verse 11, has given offices to the church in order to train and equip the church to use their gifts. Not that the pastor and the missionary, not that the, even the foundational gifts of apostles and prophets, not that they do all the work, but that we exist to train and to use the Word of God to teach you how to use your gifts and to equip you to use the gifts that God has given you. And so verse 11, he gave some apostles and prophets. Those are the foundational gifts of the church. Chapter 2, the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And then we have the functional gifts of evangelists, what we would call the missionary, and some the pastor-teacher for the perfecting or the equipping, maturing of the saints, the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so we see that while God has given these foundational gifts and functional gifts to the church, these offices in order to train you to use your gift, ministry is not just the minister's job. Ministry is all of our responsibility. All of us have the responsibility to minister with the gift we've been given. And then we saw most recently... Uh, verses 12 
uh, through 16, that through serving one another and through speaking the truth, not just speaking truth, but speaking the truth, which is this. So it's not just my responsibility because I'm only one guy. It's not just my responsibility to teach you the word of God. It's all of our responsibility to teach each other the truth of God, to speak the truth, even if you're not standing up here teaching. But when you interact with each other, when you encourage, you encourage with truth. When you confront, you confront with truth. It's speaking the truth in love. And when we serve one another and speak the truth to one another, well, here's what happens. Till we all, verse 13, come in the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Every part must do its part. We all know. If you're old enough, you know. There are mornings you wake up and there's a part of your body that does not want to cooperate. For me, sometimes it's my sciatica. For you, it may be your back or it may be an ankle or a hip or some other part of your body. Maybe you have migraines that you have to deal with. But when there's one part of the body that acts up, it can hinder and hamper the entire body. We all need to work together, speaking and serving. We need to grow up. We grow confidently knowing what's coming. And we grow together in unity and maturity. That's what it means to walk worthy. But now, we're going to talk about walking differently walking differently see if i'm going to walk worthy of the calling paul says some things going to have to change some things in my life are going to have to change and that change begins with how i think look at verses 17 and following paul says this i say therefore based on based on what we have been called to do we've been called to walk worthy therefore he says I testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart or the hardness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, there are three big ideas I want to give to you out of these verses this morning. Number one, a new life begins with a renewed mind a new life begins with a renewed mind if you want to live differently than the world around you you have to learn to think differently than the world around you some of us got saved when we were kids 
right? I was just a kid, not much older than Elijah when I, when I got saved. In Sunday school, Thomas Road Baptist Church, remember it like it happened last week. I didn't have years and decades of sin that God was changing me from. Sadly, those came later after I, after I knew better, right? As a, as a Christian, when I grew up, I still sinned, still dealt with sin, still had to have God discipline me and, and bring maturity into my life. But some of you were saved later in life, and you have uh, a past. Let's just put it that way. You have a past. And to all of us, whether it's the past as, a, as an unsaved person or whether it's the past as a Christian who, who was living away from the Lord, wherever you are, if you're a child of God today, you need to learn to live differently and to leave those things in the past. But that begins with thinking differently. Just because, as, as Paul's speaking here to a, a church, an important church, a big church, an influential church, a privileged church, but a church with sinners just like every church. And these believers struggle with the same issues, the same sin issues that we struggle with because people have not changed very much over several thousand years. All the technology has changed. The way we dress has changed. The language and the verbiage may have changed, but the human nature has not changed. And so Paul is going to share to us what he shared to the Ephesians, what he shared, by the way, to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. Remember in Romans 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, unto God. This is your reasonable service. That's a summary of Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. But how do we put that into practice, Paul? You have to be transformed. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world's thinking. Be transformed. Be changed from the inside out. Be changed in how you think by the renewing of your mind. And when you are able to do that, then you will be able to discern what God's will is in your life. Sometimes we get stuck on what is God's will for my life because we're not thinking God's thoughts. We're not thinking with a renewed mind. We're thinking with a worldly mind. So you say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's walk through it. Let's walk through what humanity's hive mind is going to condition you to think or to put it more appropriately, how the hive mind of humanity is going to condition us how to think. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 12 too that the world is conforming our thinking. It's trying to press our minds into a mold to get us to think a certain way. And let me tell you, brother, sister in Christ, if you do not intentionally renew your mind the way that we're commanded to here, this is how you are going to think. Because this is human nature. This is your nature, it's my nature, it's human nature. So this is the way our minds want to work. We want to think this way. We want to operate this way. And Paul says you have to be intentional in being transformed in the renewing of your mind. So let's talk about some fatal flaws. There are eight of them that Paul gives us here in these verses. Eight fatal flaws of the mindset of the masses. Eight things that we have to stop doing. You're going to have to be intentional. But hey, what better time to make a change 
than the beginning of the year. So let's walk through these together. Number one, he says that the old way of thinking, you've got to think differently, the old way of thinking is according to the vanity of their minds. So the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to stop forgetting your eternal purpose. You're going to have to stop vain thinking. What is vain thinking? Futile thinking, empty thinking. Thinking that is only about this life. That is only about things that are not going to last and that you're not going to be able to take with you. That's, van that's vanity. That's, that's vain thinking. That's empty thinking. To invest your life into things that will not last beyond this life. Why do we do that as Christians? We spent an entire summer, not last summer, but the summer before, going through the book of Ecclesiastes together, which is all about this. How do we find eternal significance in a temporary life? How do we get eternal value out of something that is fleeting? And Solomon came to the conclusion, he shares it with us in chapter 2, he shares it with us at the end in chapter 12, and several times in the in the. Uh, uh, Throughout the book, it's through the fear of the Lord. It's through focusing on the Lord, focusing on the one who is eternal. When we focus on the eternal God, then we're able to live for eternal things. Stop forgetting your eternal purpose. Paul, uh, excuse me, Solomon says at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, this is the conclusion of the matter. Here's what it all boils down to. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man because God's going to bring every work into judgment. So I'm going, to stand, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. And Solomon says, I want you to think about that. It's the same thing that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the, the last letter that, that Paul wrote before he died. And he says, Timothy, I'm getting ready to die. And I want you to study, to show thyself approved unto God. In the Greek, literally, he says, this is 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, I want you to make it your priority to be ready at any moment. The Greek verb tense says, at any moment, be ready to present yourself to God because you want God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. You want God to be approving of your works. Now, this is not about approving of whether you get into heaven or not. That's not what Paul's talking about. We'll already be there. We'll already be in heaven. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks about the judgment that Christians will go through. It's a judgment of rewards. It's a judgment not of, of uh, whether we get into heaven or not. It's a judgment of rewards. We're going to pass, our life is going to pass through the fire of God's judgment. And it's going to show whether what we lived for was worthless stuff, wood, hay, stubble, or whether what we were living for was eternally valuable, gold, silver, precious stones. Because Paul warns Timothy, some Christians, they're going to be in heaven, but they're not going to be approved, and they're going to be ashamed. They're going to stand before their creator, and they're going to be ashamed that they spent their life for things that did not mean anything to eternity. Amen. Stop forgetting your eternal purpose. Go back sometime and, and reread chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, that longest sentence in the Bible, where, where Paul talks about the spiritual blessings and the spiritual purpose that we have as the children of God in Jesus Christ. Stop thinking 
that you have no eternal purpose. Number two, the Gentiles have their understanding darkened. Stop ignoring the light you have, Christian. Stop ignoring the light you have. You have Jesus Christ if you're in Christ. You have the light of the world living inside of you. He lives inside of you as the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth lives inside of you if you are a believer. It's why we are called the light of the world. Not because the light comes from us, but because the light lives inside of us. That's why we're not to hide our light, to cover it up, to try to not let people know that we're saved. You know, when I uh, went up to, I moved up to Scranton, <clears throat> excuse me, a number of years ago, moved up to Scranton, I was going to work with a church plant there, and I got a job as a social worker, and I didn't want the people that I worked with to know that I was a pastor, because I didn't want them to have that bias, right? Because as soon as you hear somebody's a pastor, you should, I mean, you should see you, 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 people introduce you out in public, right? Oh, what do you do for, oh, you're a pastor, and you can see, you can see the, the faces change, especially if it's somebody who's not churched, or if it is somebody who's churched, that all of a sudden they got to put their Jesus mask on, right? Because I'm, I'm talking to the preacher now. So I thought, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want them to know, I don't want them to know that I'm a pastor. Well, my, my supervisor who hired me, she she was a Liberty grad as well. We went to, uh, not, I, I think she went to Liberty after me. Anyways, we didn't know each other at Liberty, but she already told everybody I was a pastor. So first day I come in and, oh, so you're the preacher. You're the preacher. But you know what? I thought, how, how wrong of that? How wrong was I to try to hide that light? To, to try to want to make a connection with them and then tell them, oh, I'm you know, I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Why, do I, why did I want to, to hide that? Why did I want to hide that light? Stop living like you do not know the light of the world, is what Paul says to the Christians. We just celebrated Jesus being the light this Christmas season. We, we were together in John chapter 1 last week. Jesus is the light of the world. What did a few weeks before that, we were in John chapter 3. What does Jesus say in John chapter 3? This is the condemnation. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We have the light of Jesus Christ. We have the light of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. We have the light of God's Word. Why am I complaining about not knowing what to do when I don't spend any time? Why am I saying, God, speak to me when I'm not reading my Bible? God, you never speak to me anymore. How much time are you spending in his word? How much time are you prayerfully? I'm not just talking about reading the verses and checking a box like you're doing some kind of school assignment. I'm talking about praying through this book and letting God speak to you through the pages of this book. And what I found is when you do that, then there are times when the Holy Spirit will tap you on the shoulder and remind you of something that you've already studied sometimes it's what you studied this morning sometimes it's what you studied five years ago but the holy spirit will bring it back to your memory stop ignoring the light that you have this is the lamp that god has given to you this is the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path so open it up read it get in it value it 
Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God. The Gentiles think according to the vanity of their mind, their understanding being darkened. Notice number three here. They are alienated from the life of God. Stop thinking like someone who is still dead in their trespasses and sins. Stop thinking like someone who is still by nature a child of wrath. Are you not saved now? Did not, did not God give you new life? Are you not a new creation? Stop thinking like an old creature. Stop thinking like the spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. Number four, notice it's through the ignorance that is in them. Now, this is a little bit different than just having a darkened mind and not knowing the light, but it goes along with that a little. It, it, it complements that. Here's the fourth thing I would tell you this morning. Stop ignoring the wisdom God is offering you. Stop ignoring the wisdom that God is offering you. See, the Gentiles are ignorant because they don't know Christ. The first step of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot be wise, spiritually speaking, until you recognize that you are a sinner under condemnation that you're going to stand before your creator someday and you're not good enough. None of us are. You are going to be seen according to your sin unless your sin is paid for. And the sin is paid for, but you need to accept that payment. You need to accept and receive the payment that Jesus Christ has made for your sin. You need to admit that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and recognize and believe that Jesus is that Savior, that He is the way, not the best way, the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes unto the Father, Jesus said, except by me. So you need to come through me. You need to, you need to accept that I am the only one who can pay and has paid for your sin and that the evidence is that I rose from the dead. That's a, that's a pretty big exclamation point. I'm going to lay my life down, Jesus said, and I'm going to pick it back up. I'm going to raise myself from the dead. And he did three days later. So what are you going to do with the wisdom that God is offering you? As a Christian, you have recognized your sin. You've, you've accepted him as Savior. So why... Do you think now you don't need him as your shepherd, as your good shepherd to lead you through life? Why do you think now that you can figure the rest out on your own? Oh, I got this now, God. That's what my five-year-old does. I'm trying to teach him how to tie his shoes. It's a school assignment, kindergarten school assignment. He's got to learn how to tie his shoes. I'm trying to show him. No, 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 let me do it. Let me do it. You don't know how to do it yet. Let me show you. Do it like this. Stop holding my hand, you say. Stop, stop holding my hand. Why are you holding my hand? Because you don't know how to do it yet. You got to hold it like this. You got to do this. And he's, he's almost got it. He's so close. Almost got it. Just that last part. Just the pull the loop through the 
through the hole. That's all, he's, he's got everything else. But he doesn't want to take the time to watch. He thinks he already knows how to do it. Friend, that's the way we are. I see in my, I see in my son myself. And tragically, it's the way I still am with God sometimes. I got this, God. Oh, no, no. Don't show me. I got this. Why are you acting ignorant when God wants you to have the wisdom to make the right choice? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But you better ask and believe that he'll give it to you. And then, by the way, you better do it. Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and you don't put them into practice, you're, you're building a house all right, but you're building it in the flood zone. And the flood's coming. The rain's going to come down, the floods are going to come up, and your house is going, your life is going to experience destruction. Your relationships are going to experience destruction because you are building on the basis of what you want to do, not on what I'm telling you to do. The ignorance that is in them. Number five, because of the blindness. Literally, this uh, Greek word, porosin, is a type of marble. It's a type of marble. And what was happening in the Greek culture is as this marble was talked about, it, they began to, it became a, a symbol of, um, of a callus or a hard heart, hardness in general. So when he says porosin, he's saying literally the hardness of their, the callousness of their hearts being past feeling. In other words, they've hardened their heart to a point where they are no longer convicted for what they do Christian beware the hardening of your heart the quenching of the Holy Spirit stop hardening your heart against the Word of God stop quenching the Spirit when the Spirit tells you you need to stop this no 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 I got this I got this how many times have I God's going to forgive me anyways, right? I'm going to do it, then I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. Quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit. Romans 6, how shall we continue in sin? That grace, that, you want to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And Galatians 6 says, hey, don't be deceived. Speaking to the church, don't be deceived. God, you're not going to mock your daddy. You ain't going to mock daddy. Whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. You're going to have consequences. Grace removes condemnation, not consequences. In Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation. My sins are paid for. My sins are forgiven. God's not going to unforgive me. I have eternal life. I have eternal life today. These things are written, John says, that ye might know that ye have eternal life. I can't spiritually die. I, my, I'm, a, I'm immortal, spiritually speaking. God has made me. He's forgiven my sin. But I can't think that that means I can do what I want to do and there's no consequences. There are consequences, speaking from experience. Sometimes I, I wondered if God was going to break that rod of correction on my behind because he was disciplining me so hard. God, I cannot take any more of this. Why does he do that? To bring us to real repentance, godly sorrow, godly sorrow. Not just, oh, I got caught. Please forgive me, I got caught. And not shame in the sense that, oh, God can never use me again. That's the devil. The devil says, oh, now you're done. 
now, you're, now you're, God's done with you. God doesn't love you anymore. No, 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 that's the devil. But godly sorrow leads me to repentance, and God can bring correction and restoration through true repentance. The fruits of repentance reveal the truth of repentance. Stop hardening your heart against the Holy Spirit. Number six. They have given themselves over to lasciviousness. Now, let me just simplify this for you. That's not a word we generally use. Here's the point Paul is making. And it's a point that I've been making as well. Stop abusing God's grace. Stop abusing the grace of God. Just because God has given you saving grace doesn't mean that you can presume upon the serving grace of God. Doesn't mean you can presume upon the serving grace that God has given you. Because what does God say to the church? He says it to all of us. But James and Peter apply it to the church. God resisteth the proud. He giveth more grace when we humble ourselves. So if you want to experience more of God's grace, it's not by abusing his grace. It's not by saying, I, I, God's just going to forgive me. I might as well, I can, I got to get out of jail free card. I can pass go, collect $200 and get out of jail. I just say that prayer, God forgive me. Oh, no, no, no. God is looking at your heart. God's not just hearing the words out of your mouth. Jesus warned us. We spoke to the Jewish people who rejected him. They weren't believers. But he said, you, he said, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? You acknowledge me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And so you are worshiping me, Jesus said, in vain. In vain you are worshiping me. Because what you're really worshiping is, is your own man-made doctrine, not me. Oh, you pay me lip service. God's not impressed with what you say. He's impressed with your heart. Stop abusing God's grace. Again, Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may increase, that grace may abound? God forbid. Meganoito. May it never be. The strongest term that Paul could have used in the Greek language. Meganoito. May it never be. The English translators in 1611 said, how do we convey? How do we convey? What's the strongest figure of speech in our, in our day and age? God forbid. God forbid that we would do that. Number seven. The Gentiles work all uncleanness. All uncleanness. That word speaks in the Greek speaks of mixing. Something that's not pure. The water is not pure water. It's dirty water. Nobody wants to drink dirty water. You say, well, there's clean water in there. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. You poured some filth in it and you polluted the water and now it's all mixed together now it's unclean this is how this is how we act in our spiritual lives sometimes oh well there's good stuff in there god yeah but you're mixing in the filth you're polluting it and god doesn't want to drink from that cup god doesn't want to drink from a polluted cup stop polluting yourself spiritually god demands a pure vessel and so, number eight, with greediness. With greediness. Stop coveting that which will not last and cannot satisfy. 
Stop coveting that which will not last and cannot satisfy. Now here's what Paul is telling us. If you are not intentional in stopping these things, this is how your human mind is wired to work because you, are, you still have a sin nature. And yes, you are a new creation and you have the mind of Christ, but you need to operate in the mind of Christ. You need to stop doing these things. And if we're not intentional, our mind is by nature going to forget the eternal and focus on the temporary. Focus on only what is temporary. And I'm going to begin to covet things that have no eternal significance, no eternal value. I shared with you before when I, back in uh, 2000, 20, 21 and a half years ago, bought my first car, 97 Mustang, beautiful white Mustang. Didn't have any, it wasn't flashy on the inside, but it looked really pretty on the outside. And I thought I was, I thought I was pretty cool driving down the road. Drove it off the, drove it off the lot, driving through Altoona, come to the signal light. I had the car for less than 15 minutes. And this girl pulls up beside me, beautiful blue Jaguar convertible. My Mustang looked pretty sad next to that car. <laughs> Just like that. That feeling of, I'm the coolest guy in town, just went zero. Hero to zero. Gone in 60 seconds. Nothing in this life, apart from Christ, has any lasting value. Amen. Why are we coveting things? Oh, if I, if I only had that house, if I only had, drove that car, if I only, you know, I had the nicest computer when I went to college, I had the nicest computer in my dorm for about three months, and by the end of the year, it was one of the slowest on the hall. That's how fast technology moves. That's how fast things change. That's why we can never satisfy that hunger through coveting things that we don't need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. You're going to have eternity to enjoy God's blessings. Let me give you two things as quickly as we close. I said there were three things that I wanted to share with you. Let me give you the next two very quickly. Number one, a new life begins with a renewed mind. Number two, the mind is only renewed by the truth of Christ. The mind is only renewed by the truth of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, again, ye have not so learned Christ, verse, 20, verse 21, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If I'm going to recommit to something, let's start, this year with recommitting to this, to making this our light, because it's the light God has given to us, to surrendering and submitting ourselves to it, not to be self-deceived by the natural man's way of thinking, but to be renewed in the reading of God's Word through the truth of Christ, the study of God's Word with a focus on God's Son. By the way, Paul says, notice this question here, Ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? I know you know about him, you're here in this church. But have you ever had a time in your life when you can say, hey, I...
called upon him as my Savior. I made it personal. I called upon the name of the Lord and I was saved. Don't leave here today thinking that it's enough to know about Christ. Have you learned him? Do you know him personally? And then the last thing as we close, and we'll pick up here next week, the truth of Christ must be learned and lived. The, cru- the truth of Christ must be learned and lived. You have to put off the old man and put on the new. Stop letting your desires deceive you. Listen to what he says here as we close. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Solomon tells us that twice in Proverbs. Chapter 14, chapter 16. There is a way. It seems right. But it ends in death. You know why that is? Because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so you need to be renewed in your mind. You need to stop letting your desires deceive you. Well, I want this to be true, so I'm going to believe it's true. What does God's word say? What is the truth? Test all things according to the truth of God's word. Stop justifying your sin. Be intentional in the pursuit of righteousness and Lord willing, as we continue over the next several weeks together, we're going to look at some specific ways that we can put off. We're going to put this process of renewing our mind, we're going to put it to the test here in chapter 4 and into chapter 5 and see if we're really putting off the old man and really putting on the new man and really being renewed in the spirit of our mind. But it starts with this book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that even though we are imperfect children, that you love us and lovingly discipline us. God, we all have the tendency to think these ways. God, may by your spirit and his convicting power and work in our life, God, may we respond to his conviction and stop thinking the wrong way. But God, help us to, by your word and by your wisdom and by the light you have given us and the spirit inside of us, God, be renewed more and more this year in our minds, changing the way we think. God, if there's somebody here, they're not able to be renewed because they don't have the mind of Christ. They've never trusted in Christ. God, I pray that this Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, they would not leave here or wherever they are listening to this, they would not leave that place before they have made sure that they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They put their faith in the death and resurrection of the only Savior you provided for the forgiveness of their sin and for the eternal life that's provided through his resurrection. And starting this year as a new man or a new woman in Christ. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you st- Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and you would like to know how, please give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.